And before I jump into the sermon, I also want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, it was a great benefit of John Woodhouse's commentary on Colossians and Philemon, as well as Kent Hughes's. So a lot of the structure of this sermon and points from this sermon will come from uh, both Woodhouse's and Kent Hughes's uh, commentaries. Well, I'm not sure if many of you know this, but I haven't been in ministry my whole life. Uh, I actually worked at the Davenport Hotel and Collections uh, at the Safari Room Bar and Grill as a server. I know Phil Watkins remembers that uh, many times having Phil, Phil and Leslie come in. Uh, but I put myself through college through being a server at the Davenport. And being a server, you have some incredible highs and some incredible lows. Uh, one server that I worked with, her name was Gail, I think hands down, she was the best server I ever worked with. Uh, she worked the morning shifts at the Davenport, and the morning shifts at the Davenport are crazy. You've got people who are trying to catch flights at 6 in the morning, so they want all their breakfast food ready immediately. And Gail was the best at it. And I asked her one day, I said, Gail, how are you so good at this? Everyone loves you. You do an incredible job. How are you so good at this? And she's been doing it for a long time. And she pulled out this piece of paper that was folded up and had all the edges torn and everything, and she showed me what makes her a good server. I couldn't read anything on it, so I said, what is this? She said, this is names of every regular I've ever had come through here. It's every meal they order, their average flight times, their coffee and beverage of choice, and their birthdays, their child's names. She had everything about them on there. She was incredible. And that was the heart. She not only had the job of a server, she had the heart of a servant. When I got into management at the Davenport, you heard a lot of frustrations from servers about serving tables. And I often had to remind them, I said, you know what the challenge is about being a server is often you get treated like that, like a servant. You'll have people who come in and see your job as the lowest in society. You'll have people who come from different cultures, and it truly is the lowest kind of employment in their society, and they treat you as that. I think Paul today is showing us the beautiful highs of being a gospel servant and is showing us the true and real lows of being a gospel servant. If you look at me uh, in in. in Chapter 1, verse 24, Paul's going to show us three aspects of being a gospel servant, three realities of being a gospel servant. And the very first reality of being a gospel servant is gospel servants will suffer. They will suffer. Look at verse 24 with me. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister. If anyone in the New Testament is familiar with suffering, it's the apostles of Jesus Christ. I mean, all of the apostles, all of the disciples, except for John, were martyred for their faith. And John died in prison for his faith. And if any of them was able to give us insight or did give us insight into their sufferings, it was Paul. I mean, turn with me if you'd like over to Colossians, I mean, sorry, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 30. Actually, we'll start the second half of 21. We'll read it quickly because it's a powerful list. 
and it goes quick. He says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Now here we go. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. Talk about suffering. Talk about a list that many of us could never come close to, to using. Paul says, as a servant of Christ, he suffers. But he doesn't just suffer, does he? He rejoices in the midst of his suffering. Now, I had to stop. You might have to stop too. Is he crazy? <laughs> like, what he just listed, how do you rejoice in any of that? I mean, if most of us today said we were shipwrecked for the gospel, we would have a hard time saying we're rejoicing. But Paul says he rejoices. Why? Why can he rejoice in the midst of a list like that? Well, he rejoices first. He says he rejoices because of the Colossians. He rejoices, if you remember, from what's been happening in their lives, he's heard while he's in prison. I mean, in the beginning of this letter, he's, it's an opening prayer. We're still in the prayer, but it's an opening prayer. And he says he is thankful for the faith they have in Christ, for the love they have for the saints, and they hope that they have set up in eternity. In the midst of his suffering, he rejoices because of what the gospel is doing in their lives. But not only does he rejoice at what's happening in the life of the Colossians, he rejoices because his suffering is doing something that Christ didn't. Now we have to wait there a second. <laughs> Look at it again. What? Verse 24. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I'm going to take a drink of water so you can ponder that for a second. Okay? What does that mean? Kent, in his commentary, points out that there has been a mass amount of ink spilled over this one verse right here. What could it possibly mean? Well, let's start with saying what it does not mean. Some, some argue that it might mean that Paul's saying that actually there's things lacking in Christ's atoning work on the cross. 
And Paul needs to make up for it. My friends, I, I, I'm usually not this blunt. That can't be further from the truth. We, we could go to other letters of Paul's and point out that that's just not true. But we only have to go back 10 verses. Look back with me. Verses 13 through 14. He, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If that's not enough, let's go down just a couple of verses to verse 19 through 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In verse 22, just two verses before the section we're in today. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There is absolutely no way Paul is hinting at all that something is lacking for salvation in Christ Jesus. Not an ounce of that is coming from him. So then what is he saying when he says that? What does he mean? Well, I think John Woodhouse gives us an answer. Maybe not the answer. We may not be able to find that out until we're in eternity. But I think he gives us an answer. And John Woodhouse basically points out that what Paul is doing when he says this is that he is carrying on the gospel message to the church. He is spreading the gospel news and it's spreading the body of Christ and the church. It's on the move. Just look at what the rest of the verse says back in Colossians 25. Well, it says, for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister. So what's, what's happening? What Paul is doing in his afflictions and his suffering is he is spreading the gospel message. Christ's death on the cross didn't do that. What Christ's death on the cross did is it made the way for salvation. It opened the gate to salvation. It made the only way possible for humanity to, to have reconciliation with God the Father through him. That's it. No other way. Christ did that. Nothing needs to be added to or taken away from that. But it does need to be spread. The message does need to be told to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. And that's what Paul's sufferings and afflictions are doing. Christ's sufferings brought in salvation. Paul's suffering spreads the message. I think that's what Paul's getting at. That Christ's sufferings, it did. It brought in salvation. It brought in the good news. It is the good news. But in Paul's afflictions and sufferings, he's spreading the good news. And this is why Paul rejoices. Because his sufferings is spreading the message of Jesus Christ and furthering Jesus' body, the church. And he says this is why he became a minister. To minister to Christ's body. As one scholar put it, Paul once persecuted Christ's body, and now he is furthering Christ's body, the church, through his own persecutions and sufferings. The gospel servant will suffer. This is what Paul rejoices about, though. That in the midst of his sufferings, the gospel is spreading. But we have to remember, Paul's in prison here. 
So how can he see that? I mean, he's hearing about it, but he's not seeing it. He's not seeing it happening. How can he still rejoice? I mean, he's not in the prisons like we have today, where I saw a kind of a funny meme the other day where it said, um, a one-bedroom apartment available with stainless steel appliances, and it was a prison cell with a stainless steel toilet. I mean, that's not what Paul was in. So yeah, he can rejoice at what he's hearing, but a lot of us, we also want to see what's happening. So how can Paul, without seeing it, he's never met the Colossians, how can he rejoice at that? Well, that, I think, is the second point, the second aspect of being a servant of the gospel. The gospel servant, according to Paul, is a part of God's divine plan, even the suffering. The gospel servant is a part of God's divine plan for spreading his word, even though it comes with suffering. Look at verses 25 through 27 with me. Of which I, be, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, the, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Paul looks at this and says, this is all a part of God's divine plan. That I was appointed to be a minister of his word. And he realizes this is what gospel servants do. They proclaim God's word. This is what Paul said God had in store for him. Even with suffering, his mission, his goal is to proclaim God's word. And he says to make the word of God fully known. Well, what does that mean? He wants to make the word of God fully known. He wants to see the mystery of God, of his word, of his promises back in the Old Testament revealed. And how is he doing this? He's doing it through preaching Christ to the Gentiles. He's doing it through preaching Christ to the Gentiles. Look, look at me with me at 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to, to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look." That's what the gospel servants are doing. They're proclaiming the promises that were found and fulfilled through Christ. Look back at Ephesians. This is one of the reasons we had Ephesians read this morning. Ephesians 3, 1 through 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, This is what Paul is doing. This is what God is working through Paul, even in the midst of his suffering and his trials. He is proclaiming the mystery of, of God, which is Christ Jesus. 
And what is the profound mystery? That not only that Christ Jesus is the way through salvation, that Christ Jesus is even for the Gentiles. Look at verse 27 with me. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery isn't just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles. It's for the whole world. This mystery is that salvation is not limited to one ethnicity or another. It is to all people through Christ Jesus alone. I mean, again, jump back with verse, uh, to, to Ephesians verse 6. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What's Paul doing? What has God given him stewardship of? To proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the mystery revealed through Christ. It's what the prophets of old were looking towards. It's what they were teaching so what the promises consisted of, blessings to all the nations, this was founded through Christ. And now his gospel servants, the apostles, proclaim it, preach it, teach it, and see the glory of Christ amongst the Gentiles. This is why Paul rejoices. He rejoices because Christ is being revealed to everyone, not just a limited group of people, but to everyone. All can participate in the inheritance and promise. All can enter into Christ's glory with confidence because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and now the proclamation of the gospel by the gospel servants. This is for all who believe and receive the teachings of the apostles who confess and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's what the, that's what the gospel servant does. The gospel servant proclaims Christ. That's the third point of the gospel servant. The gospel servant proclaims Christ. Look at verse 28 with me. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. If you're into like mission statements and vision statements and purpose meetings, all that. This passage right here is for you. You don't get a clearer mission statement, vision, purpose than those three words right there. Him we proclaim. Paul says this is his mission. This is his purpose. This is why he suffers. To proclaim Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. It's about him. It's about Christ. If you're new to CTR and you haven't had a chance to step up on this stage, whatever you want to call it yet, I encourage you to do that after this service. One of the reasons I fell in love with this church is because when I was at Moody Bible Institute, I was in a preaching course. I'd come up here and I'd practice preaching, thinking there was thousands of people in here. And the first time I did it, I was in awe because I looked up right above the projector. Etched in the glass is preach Christ. Every time someone comes up here to preach God's word, they are reminded right in front of their eyes that that is the mission of the gospel servant. 
is to preach Christ, to proclaim Him. Nothing more, nothing less. That's what your pastors and your elders are held accountable to do. It's to preach Christ, to proclaim Him. And who does Paul want to proclaim Christ to? Everyone. Everybody. Not just Jews, not just even Gentiles. Everyone. Three times in verse 28, he uses the word everyone. He wants to warn everyone of their need for Christ. He wants to teach everyone about Christ. And he wants to present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's ministry as a servant, as a minister of God's word, is to proclaim Christ to everyone. He wants to warn them of their need for Christ. He wants to teach them of his saving work and to follow his commands and his teachings. And in result, he wants to see them grow into maturity and present them as mature before Christ. I was thinking about this as I was studying that. As a youth pastor, one of the books that I read had a funny quote in it that just stuck with me. It said, teenagers and kids hate two things, specifically hate these two things coming from their parents. They hate wisdom and discipline. If you're a parent, you might have chuckled. They hate wisdom and discipline. I don't think that's limited to teenagers. Especially outside of Christ, we, all, we are all hardened to the teaching and the wisdoms of Christ. We're hardened, and it's not until the gospel servants, preachers, teachers, friends, whoever it may be, constantly proclaimed his saving message to us, and the Spirit working through that word softened our hearts, and we received it, and then in receiving it, we wanted his wisdom, we wanted the teachings, we wanted to grow in maturity. Brothers and sisters, we are all children like that. We all become hard, we are all hardened outside of Christ to his teachings and his wisdom and his discipline. Actually, Paul in his other letters compare that. Compare the maturity in Christ to that of an infant. And that we need to grow in maturity in Christ. And Paul wants to see that in everyone. And you know what the reality of that is? That is a lot of work. That is hard gospel work. So the question we have to ask is, Paul, how are you going to do that? How are you going to proclaim the gospel to everyone? How are you going to get that accomplished? I mean, that's a good mission you have. How is that sustainable? And how would you answer that? If you were a part of Paul's ministry council in prison, what advice would you give him? Maybe through a team? He has that. He has people with him. Maybe through some strategy, good ministry strategy. Through preaching? Yeah, they're doing that. Got it. Through inviting a bunch of people to a service. Let's put a big service together. Let's, oh, maybe this idea comes to mind. Let's create a track about two different ways to live and with cool pictures about crowns. Let's do that. Russ Branham's down in California, so we're good. I don't have to. Or maybe it's get a 
video series together about exploring Christianity. All really good things. All good and powerful tools. But Paul doesn't give some grand philosophy about ministry and how to accomplish that. He doesn't give something that you're going to want to write a bunch of books about and and hand them off to pastors and say, try this. What's his answer? He says this. He says, with all Christ's energy that he powerfully works within me. That's how he's going to accomplish it. Through the power of Christ, he is going to strive to accomplish this mission. But what does that energy look like? What does that power look like? If you're a stay-at-home parent, you just think that energy and power look like getting through the day without losing my mind. But what does Paul say it looks like? Verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What does the energy and power of Christ look like working through Paul? Toil and struggle. Paul shows that not only will the servant suffer, but be a part of God's great plan, they will proclaim Christ, and they will have to endure some hard work. But you have the energy of Christ working powerfully within you. That word toil there in the Greek, it actually means, and Kent Hughes points this out, actually means to, to labor until one is sore in their core, they're exhausted in their core. Many of you have probably experienced that. It's like coming home from a hard day work and just laying on the couch and said, saying to the kids, just order pizza, I can't do anything. That's kind of what Paul's getting at there. It's just this, it's, it's a labor-intensive uh, toiling and feeling of exhaustion to your core. And the word struggle is actually even stronger. It's where we get our word agony from. It's as if you're in a sporting event and it's taken every bit of your being to finish it. If you watched Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes, this is her. She was in agony. She got her shoulder touched. If you watch it, she got her shoulder touched and she almost punched the girl because she was in so much pain at the end of the game. She gave everything to that game. That's what Paul is saying is happening right here. It's as if you're in a fight and your body is just beaten. Paul's saying for the gospel to be proclaimed to everyone and to see everyone mature in Christ, he is laboring in agony for it. With all of the energy and power of Christ. And did you see that? Did you see what he said? Where he turns to? Where he gets the ability to even keep laboring and keep struggling for the gospel? From Christ who, by the way, did the same exact thing to get to the cross. He turned to the Father to endure the suffering and the pain to the cross to to bring in salvation for all who confess and believe in him. Paul says, that's where I have to turn to. That's what gives me the ability to toil and struggle for the proclamation of the gospel. Gail, who I talked about at the beginning of this sermon as a server, Again, one of the best servers I've ever worked with. Remember her list? Well, one day she lost it. <laughs> she couldn't find it. And she was frantic. She was looking everywhere. And I just, I didn't know yet that she had lost it. I asked her, I said, you okay? Like, can I help you? She's like, I can't find my list. 
can't find it. I do think she ultimately found it, but for Gail to lose that list, she's not the same server. She might as well just be a forklift for eggs at that point. She lost it. Christ says to be, but Paul says that his relationship with Christ is not only what makes him the gospel servant, but gives him the energy and the power to keep doing it and doing it well. That's who he turns to. He doesn't say he needs to get me time and get away and get space. He probably got that. He said, you want to keep doing gospel ministry? You want to keep the energy and the power to keep doing it and proclaim it? Turn to him. Find energy and power in him. As we hear this, it's really easy for us to think that this is talking to pastors. This is talking to youth leaders and children's church teachers and Sunday school teachers and and professors and the evangelists. It's not talking to the average day person. It's not. It doesn't seem that way. And to an extent, it is talking to pastors and teachers. And it's a great reminder for those of us in vocational ministry. But the reality is, is he is talking to everybody who proclaims Christ. If you say you proclaim Christ Jesus is the Son of God and rose again from the grave, you are now a servant of the gospel. Don't believe me? Famous passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's a commission not just to the apostles they sent out, but it's to all who are disciples of Jesus. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The gospel servant will suffer. The gospel servant is a part of God's divine plan. And the gospel servant, one mission is to proclaim Christ to everyone. And the beauty of it is is that Christ is with us to the end of the age. So let me ask, how are we doing at this? How are we doing with this at the job? To proclaim Christ at your job might be a high risk. The status you have with your boss and the fellow workers and that might change. The ability to just shoot the breeze and, and talk whichever way you want and, and, and keep you know, clients and relationships good because you just never bring Christ into it. To be a servant of the gospel is not to be the one that stands on your desk and says, hey, listen. But it's one who says, I want to see you know Christ. Now I'm praying for opportunities to present that to you. And suffering might come with that. I referenced it earlier, but the stay-at-home parent, stay-at-home mom or dad, you have little sinners in your home who need to hear the gospel message over and over again. And yeah, my little five-year-old girl goes around singing Memory verses. 
Someday she'll probably tell me, Dad, I don't want to hear it. What kind of energy and power do we need then to constantly proclaim the gospel to the ones in our homes that we love the most? For the teenager, high school is a really dark and hard place. Do you toil and suffer and struggle for the approval of your friends more than you do for the proclamation of Christ? To not be known as a bigot, to not lose their friendship? Because that might happen if we bring Christ into that. And you know what the truth is in all this? It is hard. It is hard. But what does Christ say at the end of that great commission? I am with you to the end of the age. That's where Paul's power came from. That's where his energy came from. If you're not a believer, I want to say this. And you're here, you probably were invited by somebody. <laughs> you're probably invited by a friend, a parent, uh, a spouse. And you do it just to make them happy, just to keep the friendship good. Can I just say to that real quick, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but what they're doing is a lot of work. It's hard to keep encouraging you to come and to pray for you, for you to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, to hear that he loves you, that the God of the universe loves you, that he won't let you stay in your sin, that he sent his son to die for you, and they just want you to hear that message. They want your heart to become softened to it. And they're willing to offend you at times to hear the gospel. They're willing to even lose that relationship because they want you to know Christ. If you're not a believer and you have someone like that in your life, I encourage you to get to know them more. Because that is a tough task. And their prayer for you is that you would come to know Christ Jesus, just like the Gentiles. The gospel servant will suffer it's a part of God's beautiful plan, and it's to proclaim Christ. And that takes a lot of power and energy that only comes from him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ, the true suffering servant, the one who went to the cross on our behalf to bring in salvation. Through your power and your energy, may we toil and struggle to continue to proclaim him. In Jesus' holy name, amen.